This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> This episode of Half Measures is brought to you by Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Hi, I'm John Champion, co-host of Mission Log. While Daniel and Paul are doing a bang-up job covering the wide world of pop culture, we're talking Star Trek, one episode at a time, over at Mission Log, looking for morals, meanings, and messages. In fact, there are a whole lot of other shows at podcast.roddenberry.com for you to choose from science, feminism, even daily news, and all stops in between. Boldly go and find us. When you're done here, of course. Again, that address is podcast.roddenberry.com, and we will be delighted to have you trek us out. Kia ora and welcome to episode 61 of the Half Missions Podcast. I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Paul Kanawa. Paul, how you doing? Kia ora, Dan. A long time ago, you accused me of doing a real radio late night TV sort of intro to the podcast. And I feel like you were peak there. I feel like you really went high on that. It was good. I like the idea that I've got like this podcasting voice. Um, that it sort of sounds more more radio than it really is, but... You know, I, I work on it every episode. It's getting it's getting great. By the time we get to a hundred, I feel like you'll left the podcast and you'll be you'll be working for TVNZ or, or Sky TV or something. Maybe, maybe. How's life been, Paul? I know there's a a bit of trouble in the old football world. I know you're a, <laughs> you're a fan. That's that is amazing because literally before we you hit record, I said I must not use this podcast as my soapbox to get up on because I'll never shut up. But honestly. I haven't watched that much the last couple of days because I've been so triggered by this news. If anyone hasn't heard the news about the European Super League and all these greedy, I have to watch my language, all these greedy clubs in Europe just quitting their domestic leaves after over a century of football. It's it's unbelievable. Anyway, people haven't come here to hear me going about that, but thank you for allowing me to, to at least get it in there. I had to really stop myself there. All right. So, um, look, Paul, it's an age-old tradition here on the pod. What have you been watching? Well, this week, Dan, uh, I went old school, first of all, but not as old as I did last week. So don't worry. I didn't go back to the 50s, but I did go back to 2000 uh, and I watched uh, Mission to Mars. Uh, so that is the, yeah, the, the movie 21 years ago with Don Cheadle. Gary Sinise and Tim Robbins. Um, I always get this one and Red Planet mixed up as they both came out at like the same time 20 years ago. And then I always remember when I see the covers, oh yeah, Red Planet is the one with those crazy robotic dogs. And I always remember that Red Planet was the one I enjoyed less, but I, I couldn't remember as much as I thought I did about Mission to Mars. And so this is the one about the first man Mission to Mars. Um, and as so often the case, right, in these movies, something goes wrong. There's a catastrophe, a disaster, and um, they find this unidentified structure. They have to launch a rescue mission to investigate the tragedy and, and bring back any survivors. And this, to, to be fair, I know I just sat here slagging off Red Planet. To be fair, this one isn't a whole lot 
better. I remember at the time I wasn't overly impressed. Some of the effects aren't up to standard. You know, to be honest, I don't think they were back then, given that this came out like, what, a year after The Phantom Menace, for example. So, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, but that's not just it. It's just, there's just a lot of things that don't quite work. I had a great time watching it, which is odd to say at the same time. But uh, yeah, is this one you recall watching? I feel like I may have seen it a long, long time ago, um, but I it doesn't bring back any immediate memories. Yeah, it's. I mean, even the fashion hasn't dated well, and this is two thousand, so it's, it makes me wonder at what point will we find ourselves looking back at movies from like the last few years and be thinking, "What were they thinking?" But um, there are some positives. I want to come with some positive energy. There are a few things I appreciate. And it's actually the opening shot I really appreciated. It had this uninterrupted, like, I think it was like six or seven minute shot using a single camera that goes all around a house and a garden. And you almost don't notice that it's one shot, um, but it must have taken so much organizing for everyone to be moving at just the right time for it all to be pulled off. That was great. Um, The director is Brian De Palma, and he does... He does do scary moments really well. And there are a couple in here that genuinely did make me jump, which is awesome because um, it was just simple camera work and it just is so effective. It was great. But um, I feel like I didn't care about. So there's a big reveal in this movie. And I, I actually don't care too much about that. The bigger story of you know why we what's actually happening on Mars. I was more interested in the little things along the way. There was a, a real cool rescue mission with Tim Robbins' character. That was that was pretty cool. But um there's just a lot of things that just don't quite fit. And so one of the things I made a note of is the the music. And that uh, that is by Ennio Morricone, um who is a fantastic composer. He often works with Brian De Palma. He's probably most famous for the, the Sergi Leone, Good, the Bad, the Ugly, Spaghetti Western trilogy. But as much as I love his music, a lot of them always sound old or they're more suited to an older style or older looking movie. And so if you combine that with some of the director's sort of almost old fashioned camera work and sort of those slow zooms, this movie feels like to me it would have been way better. It would have been a real belter if they'd made it in the 70s or something. But um but yeah, look, it's middle of the road. It's not quite good enough next to some of the other movies out there. There's a lot of movies about Mars, right? Um, but the bigger question for me is, what happened to Gary Sinise? Because I feel like I'd forgotten all about him, and I feel like he was real peaking in the 90s. You know, he had Apollo 13, he had uh, he had Forrest Gump, and then he had this. And I, I just can barely think of anything of note on the silver screen that he's done that's really caught my eye in a long time. So who knows? Maybe this was the one that killed it. Yeah, you're right. He's he was in a lot of sort of those '90s, early 2000s movies. I guess most recently, probably Thirteen Reasons Why would probably be okay the oh. most. But yeah, again, though, as you say, uh, not necessarily a a lot compared to his sort of his earlier back catalogue. The um the second thing I watched, and I I'm just gonna have to say apologies straight away because I know I'm gonna pronounce it wrong. The Mauritanian. I don't know if that's how you say it. I'm not going to attempt that word again. Uh, M-A-U-R-I-T-A-N-I-A-N. You figure it out. Anyway, this, Dan, is an astonishing movie. I was not prepared for how good it was. This is, I would I would come up right off the bat and say this is one of the top three movies I've seen in the last year. That's how much I rate this one. And even... Hold on, Paul. Oh, here Hold we go. On. Here we go. This is, a, this, is, this is a top three movie 
And our movie of the week this week is Thunder Force, and you're telling me that this is already in your top three? <laughs> I know, right? Obviously, Thunder Force is going to be amongst that three. I can, I can see where you're going with that. But um, <laughs> now, this I was quite ignorant to this in terms of knowing what it was about, hence why I probably can't even pronounce the title. I went in on this on the basis that I saw Jodie Foster and Benedict Cumberbatch were in it, and I literally didn't even read the synopsis, which is actually quite rare for me. I was just like, I'm in. Um, so if you don't know what this one's about, this is the true story of a guy called Mohamedo Old Slali and his fight for freedom after being detained and imprisoned without charge by the US government for years. And the movie explores how how he gets this defense attorney, uh, who's Jodie Foster, um, and go to, to battle the US government. And she goes up against this pretty formidable military prosecutor, played by Benedict Cumberbatch, and they uncover this shocking evidence that um, of things that have happened against Mohamedo, not him himself. And as the years go by, it just follows his story. And it's actually based on the book Guantanamo Diary, which uh, Mohamedo himself actually um, wrote. Um, and it's it is just incredible, absolutely brilliant. I can't recommend this one enough. It looks awesome. It's a, it's a movie that's long been on my radar to watch. Um, and it's kind of, I feel like one that's kind of going a little bit under the radar, particularly here in New Zealand. It's on Amazon Prime. Am I right in saying that? Correct. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, look, it's definitely one on my list. And um, it feels like one of those classic movie of the week type movies where, you know, it, you, you don't really know what you're getting into, but it's got a really deep story. And it, it kind of gave me those vibes from the trailer that I've seen. Yeah, I would I would not often use the word guarantee, but I would be very surprised if you watch this and didn't get something out of it. I, it this is an R-rated movie, right? And it is well-earned for a number of reasons. So we watched, uh, what was it? We watched a couple of, The Nightingale, right? That was a, a very disturbing horrifying movie and i would say next next to that this is right up there it's not quite as bad perhaps but in terms of what what things that humans can do to other humans is is awful and um yeah i mean i'm not i'm not so ignorant that i don't know about the types of things that have occurred at guantanamo bay but i, I just think seeing those scenes on screen can really hit home really really hard and the movie the way it's done they don't hold back on that either, so it doesn't let you as the audience off the hook easily. So you, you don't get you don't get short bursts of oh these are the types of things that happen here. You get quite quite prolonged, intense, loud scenes that that don't let up. And there's a segment of the film I don't know how long went on for, but it's relentless. And I actually had to turn the volume down at one point. So it, it's it, so it's not easy to watch, not just because it's horrifying what's happening, but this barrage of light and noise that they use to interrogate and torture it's a it's, it's an attack on your senses and um it gives you a headache and i guess that's that's the whole point it's really effective look it's uh it sounds it sounds tragic and horrible but also a good movie to check out so i'm adding it to the list yeah good choice and the, the irony and i'm sure you already know this much is the island itself just looks completely stunning it looks so beautiful and it's the polar opposite of this facility that's that's on there um i do have to give a shout out because the the french actor Tahar rahim an actor i've never heard of before who plays Mohamedo, he knocks it at the pat i will go on the record here then and say i think he is up for an academy award for this one i think 
he should be getting a nomination for best actor in a leading role. He is, he's great. I mean, I expected Jodie Foster and Benedict to be great, and they are, and and Shailene Woodley as well, all superb. But but to hit to have him in the in the lead role is he's just absolutely he really is so convincing. He really just goes right at it. And seeing Jodie Foster again was great. It's only the fourth movie I was looking. It's only the fourth movie she's done in like a decade. So she's real good. And going up against Benedict. Those scenes are delicious. So, so yeah, I'll say no more. But um, it's 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 really really good. And then the final thing I was going to talk about this week, Dan, is a um, New Zealand series, um, episode one of Creamery um, that aired this week. And this is a comedy set in something of a post-apocalyptic New Zealand where this this viral plague has swept the earth and seemingly wiped out all of the men. And so, stay with me, the series takes place like eight years later, and we find these these three women who are living in like a world which is kind of like a a handmaid's tale type society, Um, and they... they find what it seems to be the the last man ever. And I've been looking forward to this one for a while. The trailer caught my eye, and I'm really pleased to say that based on this first episode that aired this week, um, it's really delivered on that trailer because it, it, it seems like it's got the makings of a really funny series, this one. I am intrigued. I must admit, when you said the creamery, the first thing that came to mind was Cadbury Cream Eggs, <laughs> and I was I was looking for the for the twist. But <laughs> no, these are they're, they're dairy farmers. These uh, these three women, and um, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, I think it's like six episodes. I haven't checked, but um, as I say, I've only seen the first episode. But even on the basis of the first episode. And I think you'll know because it's like a half hour long if you watch it, if it's for you or not. I think it, I think it's great. And I think of three reasons why I really liked it. One, you know, I talk about the writing a lot. I thought the writing was great. It's a great hook. You've got this this brilliant mini universe here with elements of Handmaid's Tale. And then they take that dark comedy element as well, which is, is really good. Then you've got the production, which I think is is right up there from, you know, editing, editing cinematography, all those things. Um and, you know, I think you need that for the type of story that they're trying to tell here, I think, to give it credibility. But thirdly, it's the cast. And I think that they're just really, really funny. And I find that when New Zealand does comedy well, for me, it's it's right up there with some of the funniest comedy when, when they get it right. And they really seem to have got it off to a, a really great start here. Just um, there's a scene with uh, the, the one of the lead actresses, Paulina Lau, who uses the word triggering. And it's so Kiwi and it's so relatable and it's it's great so um yeah i would say add this one to the list if you get a chance it's so so this is more in the comedy genre than it is in the i guess science fiction or drama category yeah i think so i think so although there's there's serious elements to this story and that you sort of find yourself empathizing with some of the characters because you know there's there's no men and then of course any uh so they they hand out (laughs) They hand, they hand out numbers, lottery numbers, uh, who the the women that will get these uh, sperm deposits because of course all the frozen sperm that's in the sperm banks, right? You know, I don't think I'd be talking about this on the podcast, but here we go. Um, and but of course, if any of the, uh, the 
the babies are born male, they don't survive. So there is a serious element. They don't dwell on that for too long, to be honest, but um, there is some seriousness here. And it, it is this sort of pandemic environment that they've created, which is ironic because um, I'd be really interested if they wrote it before COVID or if they wrote it during, I, I don't know. But um, yeah, it definitely leans into the comedy quite hard. And I'm treating it as a, not as a palate cleanser in terms of comedies like we talk about, but um, it's it's the comedy angle that I'm I'm coming for. And yeah, but the the quality of that direction and production is really good. They've either got a way bigger budget than I thought they might have done, or they've just done a really good job. And it's not because I would expect that from a New Zealand show that you wouldn't get that. It's not true. I just think they've really done a really good job here. And it's um it's actually directed by um, Roseanne Liang, who directed that Shadow in the Cloud movie that came out recently. And I think she's done a great job with the first episode. So yeah, good stuff. Look, you've been, you've intrigued me again. That's a, a couple of things to add to my list. Um, and I, I like the fact that it's only, what, six episodes or so. Um, and there's only one episode out. So still early enough to get in on it. Absolutely. And yeah, those are the the three things that I have uh, mainly watched this week when I haven't been getting upset about football and what have you. So, Dan, what have you been watching this week? Well, Paul, I've, I've watched a few things. Um, I, I've actually been away for the weekend, so I've really had to fight, I guess, to make sure I, I get a few things um, in to talk about here on the pod. But nevertheless, I, I've done it. I've done it for you. I've done it for the listeners. What a hero. So I've uh, finished season two of Superstore now. And I'll tell you, Paul, it's finally clicked with me. Finally, I'm, I appreciate the characters. I appreciate the humor. I am in, like, I want to watch the next episodes now. And I think it, it literally took me to the end of season two to feel that way about it. Um, but I'm, I've just come to really enjoy the different characters now for their different traits, but they, they really did have to grow on me. Like, as I've mentioned before, like, I'm a, I really enjoyed Dina. Mateo's fun. I love the Dina Garrett relationship. I'm even sort of finding the more the Jonah and Amy thing okay, and Glenn, even Glenn sort of I'm sort of warming to him as well. So nice. Uh, basically, where it ended is there's just been a tornado that sort of ripped through the store, um, and we're I'm presuming we're going into season three. We're going into a rebuild. We're exactly at the same place, funny enough, because we sort of we slowed down a little bit because we started watching a bit of Brooklyn Nine Nine and, and other things. So you've caught right up now. So we're right at the same place. Interesting. Amazing. So yeah, no. Look, it's um, it, that's a lot of episodes, though. To be honest with you, to to really get me to this point, normally um, I know a lot sooner than that, but I've pushed through, and it's it's been worth it. Um, I've watched a new movie that's just come out on Netflix this week, uh, called Love and Monsters. So this is uh, a new release, and basically the whole the whole premise of this movie is it's seven years after, um. The sort of Earth has been through this. Actually, I'll go back a little bit. Basically, an asteroid's heading towards Earth um, as a as a response. Basically, the military fires all of these missiles at at this asteroid. Basically, all of the the radiation and chemicals come lands back on Earth and basically turns everyday insects into giant monsters. So snails are now enormous. Ants are enormous centipedes are enormous like, and, and humans basically get largely wiped out and it's basically about this this character who um 
lives underground with this other community of survivors and it's been seven years since he's seen the, the the love of his life and most other people he's with have sort of paired up with people and he sort of largely is a he's a bit of a kitchen hand he doesn't really go out and do any scavenging or exploring and this is a story of his adventure to go and basically to find the love of his life and I'll tell you Paul it kind of it sounds a little bit cheesy, but it was a lot of fun. Um, <clears throat> it's it's got a it's got a great cast. The effects are pretty awesome. Um, it's it stars uh, Dylan O'Brien as the the main actor, and it's just a lot of fun. And it's it's got plenty of laughs in it. The the like the idea of sort of um, you know like giant ants or yep. caterpillars or whatever whatever it may be kind of sounds a little bit cheesy and it's going to look a little bit terrible but honestly highly recommend it as a popcorn movie I think it won't disappoint a lot of fun to be had I'm I'm already interested straight away from the description with the comedy angles you mentioned before I think I'm definitely going to enjoy that um, and the cast the cast looks good as well I see old our old mate Michael Rooker from Walking Dead is there. As you mentioned, Dylan O'Brien, he was he was um, good. What did we watch him in? We watched him something. Oh, Deepwater Horizon. He was good in that. And then Jessica Henwick as well. She was she was pretty good in that underwater movie we watched in Iron Fist. So there's there's enough things here going on that would make me. And even the poster alone, the poster alone looks good fun. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's really uh, fun to see Michael Rooker is more of a, a good guy, particularly in a in a survival. Uh, post-apocalyptic type world where, you know, particularly for you and I, I used to Michael Rooker as kind of that, you know, a real big bad guy from the Walking Dead universe, but to actually see him as a bit more of a, a wholesome person who's um, just trying to get by on the planet's surface. So, look, it's a, again, just recommend it. It's a good fun watch. It's something a little bit different, and it's good to have some some fresh movies out from Netflix. Awesome. And I've watched another movie, just to, just to round out my movie watching. Uh, this is a bit of an old one, and as I mentioned, so I was away for the weekend and just sort of scrolling through Netflix, put something on. Um, it's often hard to find something to watch when you've got a, a sort of a, a group of people. But the movie we watched was End of Watch, which actually came out back in 2012. Um, it stars Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, Michael Piena, uh, Anna Kendrick, and it's been I probably first saw this movie when it first came out, so it's almost nine years ago. And it's kind of it's shot in a, a documentary style way and it follows the the daily grind of two young police officers in LA. And it's kind of got like a a body cam GoPro sort of vibe to it, which mm-hmm. I think, you know, if you were to make this movie today would be very different. But this is a great movie. It's it's just great storytelling. It's pretty gritty um it's got lots of sort of great sort of ebbs and flows to the movie between kind of the i guess the the life of a la um la police officer what that sort of means on a daily basis it's high energy there's sort of the the downside of that there's the family side of that and basically it's about these two cops who kind of get mixed up in some cartel business and they kind of trigger a whole bunch of actions unbeknown to them they're just kind of doing their job um and it's look if you haven't seen it highly highly recommended it's got a great director uh, david ayer and yeah again can't speak highly enough it's you know nine years old but it's it's aged like a fine wine if you ask me nice i i 
just even the idea of the the GoPro type angle that you talk about that sounds so so fascinating. Um, I mean, David David I as director, he's yeah, he's unbeatable. Uh, he's done some builders for me, um, and also I spotted Michael Pennon as well, uh, who I've enjoyed in Narcos and a few other things. There's a lot of things going on there, but I I'm most fascinated by the the documentary type style. That sounds very very different, so I'm I'm keen. I've got to admit, when I first started watching it, I was definitely a little bit nervous about how this is going to translate into 2021, particularly around all of the stuff that's been happening in America. You know, think about the the George George Floyd stuff, and actually, is this movie like? like will it sort of still be watchable into sort of today's day and age but I think they actually do a really good like it, it still feels like current and worth a watch and if anything more relevant than ever awesome great stuff and then the the final thing that I've watched is just the latest episode of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier another belter of an episode um it's, it's really hard to talk about this show without really going deep into into spoilers about what's happening but I guess the sort of the crux of what happened and this, this is the penultimate episode so we've only got one more to go and the whole um the whole premise of this show has basically been about when Captain America handing over the shield uh to either the Falcon or um Bucky Barnes as the Winter Soldier and this is sort of the 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 journey of the shield finally finding its kind of true owner and the person who's going to take up the mantle of I guess the the new modern day Captain America and uh, it's the same as last week these episodes are just so freaking good I know that this one's called like a little bit lower um this is on IMDB and 8.2 compared to maybe the nine I think last week but again still a top tier episode I'm super excited to watch the final uh, this week and I'm kind of sad that this is just sort of a, a six episode show I want to watch the Falcon and the Winter Soldier for another seven more seasons it's just that good and yet the secret Dan as we've come to learn is it seems to be the short number of episodes the better it is just like Mandalorian it's I think it's short and sweet is what wins the day as we talked about the other week but um look I'm hearing it all around me I even heard people on the train talking about it. it. That's how much this show is obviously taken off. Um, so it's great. I think what's really what's really cool about it as well is, you know, and I th- I remember thinking this when uh, Disney first picked up um, the the Star Wars stuff, and I, I thought it the same when they picked up the the Marvel stuff. That oh, it's it's going to be too Disneyified. There's going to be no sort of grit or mm-hmm. um, a sort of darker side to it, but that couldn't be further from the truth. Like this is some of the the grittiest content um, that I've kind of seen in this Marvel genre, and it's it's so up there with Endgame um, as far as Marvel content goes. And Samara and I were just saying that we actually can't wait to once this final episode comes out to actually sit down over a weekend and watch the whole thing kind of back to back. Mm. It's it really is movie quality, and you can you can tell even. Obviously, they've got, you know, the original actors from the movies. They've got big budgets. They've got great storytelling. And it's just so great to get these stories of these, I guess, um, it's kind of offensive for them, but like sort of B-tier heroes, the heroes that, you know, we're so used to the Iron Man, the Captain America, the, yeah. um, you know, the, that level. And actually, these these side stories are better than the main stories. That's amazing. 
side stories are better than uh, no, I love that I love that and for anyone who's deep into the comics as well obviously that, that must be really rewarding as well so in Disney we trust in Disney we trust and so Paul that probably brings us to another review of Fear the Walking Dead indeed it does and as always if you don't watch this show please use the show notes and fast forward on ahead to our movie of the week because you won't want to miss that Academy Award uh, winning movie um, so this stand is uh, season 6 episode 9 of Fear the Walking Dead things left to do and the synopsis for this one a standoff occurs between Virginia and her rangers and Morgan's group and Virginia has made a lot of enemies and it's finally catching up to her and indeed it does I think you know we said last week uh, with the the first episode of the this part of the season that it was season finale material and it was so good and I you know we both sort of pondered I guess what was going to be this what's this next episode going to be like and I'll tell you Paul it was freaking excellent like I just I, I loved it I I really enjoyed the they gave us a conclusion at the end there was a there was a point on this journey where we're basically you know, Morgan's kind of bringing everyone together. Morgan's getting ready for a fight. And in a classic Morgan type way, he goes all Carol on us and was like, nah, nah, we're going to be like the other people. And I was like, oh, come on, Morgan. We've had this like, <laughs> we've had this story arc not so many times with Morgan, so many times across the whole Walking Dead universe. And the problem with that story arc for me is, if there's no consequences for your actions and we're always redeeming everybody, you can tell obviously I'm going to be a villain in the apocalypse because 100%. I, yeah. don't trust Dan. <laughs> if you do, stay away from him in the, in the apocalypse. There will be consequences. But I, it, you know, the, I think the way they kind of like, they almost kind of like wrapped up a whole bunch of story arcs. And again, it actually makes me wonder where is this going to sort of go with the, with the next episode and the, and the last few episodes of the season. Um, but I thought it was, I guess we'll just just jump to it. June, what a superstar. I can't believe it. She's really just coming hot and dark and she's, I don't know, I don't know what you thought, Paul, but I loved it. Power of the hat, John's hat. It, it, carries, it carries the spirit of John and she's taken that. Because you're right, when Morgan was stood there, I have to admit, I did have a similar reaction to you in terms of, oh, come on, we've seen it before. But uh, there was a moment where I couldn't call which way it was going to go. Like if that had been Carol, we would have been there going, oh yeah, here we go. She's going to do nothing. But I really just couldn't tell. I think he made the right call given the the way it was being done. It just felt wrong. Anyway, that's a philosophical question. But um, you know, this this episode did have a lot to live up to after last week's opening episode. Um, and I, I don't know if it lived up to that one or not because I really enjoyed that one. But there was, as you say, there was so much to enjoy in this. Um, and I also noted that for a few minutes at least that every single Fear the Walking Dead character was in that same place at that hideaway all together on screen. I cannot recall a time that that has happened in The Walking Dead for, for quite a I would say quite a few years. It was, it's, you know, we always talk about, oh, can we just get everyone together just for a minute? Can we have a stand up, get everyone together? And that's what happened. Um, that was really enjoyable. But uh, no, it was a, it was a powerful story. There was a lot of stress. There was a lot of tension. Really, um, I, I, I feel like 
there was a moment where I could tell, I thought, okay, so Virginia's going to die. And I just was like, oh, can we just get to that? If it's going to happen, I'm a bit impatient. Um, but yeah, unlike John uh, Slathery, I, I think I did see this one coming. But uh, I think the way they went around it was was good. It was uh, Morgan was strong again. We got to see Alicia for the first time in ages and sort of got a bit of her character again. Um, Dwight and Sherry, you know, they were back in, you know, they finally get back together. But of course, you know, she's off with the mass bandits. There was just a lot of different things that went on. And uh, Daniel and, 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 and what's his name? I always forget his name. Strand? Strad. Mm. You know, um, Strand. Strand. Yeah. I, I don't know. There was just so much to enjoy, just so many different angles. And there's so many different things shooting off in different directions that, you know, in terms of where the episodes might go, really high quality. And it's such a joy, you know, because we've been here. Well, you know, not enjoying The Walking Dead for a wee while in this this last three episodes. So the the Negan episode, the the John episode, and this one have have all been three in a row. I'll settle for that. I think what's interesting about um, the, I think all of The Walking Dead ultimately is they actually struggle with having good bad guys. And I think, mm. you know, obviously Negan's an exception and Alpha is also, I think, an exception to that. But it's it's actually really, I find it quite hard to kind of, you know, really get too hooked into characters like Virginia because it's it's like, yeah, you're just kind of organising the community and you've kind of got some settlements. And it's actually kind of what everyone's trying to do. Like you've kind of got some strict rules and stuff and mm-hmm. you, know, you can kind of be a bit of a dick every now and again. But in general, like it's probably no different from, you know, the settlement that Morgan's building. You know, when he sort of gave that speech at the end, he's like, come and join our settlement. You know, if you want to live by our rules, like how different is that to what anyone else is really doing apart from the your version of, of the good rules? And I'm always a little bit bittersweet when um, we lose uh, a bad guy, for better or worse, because it kind of makes me wonder, like, where to from here? And I think what you mentioned is important there. We've actually got this really great cast, and I think what's going to be interesting now is is the is the tension actually going to happen between you know between Strand maybe and Morgan's camp, or even um, Sherry, or I'm not sure whether she's um, a main character enough for that to happen but it feels like I'm not really ready for just another villain of the week to come along and yeah. you know it, it, it needs to be that it would be great for them to start building up a really great bad guy that we can really kind of love to hate or we can actually get some turmoil between some of our main cast because like you said it's actually really cool to see them all on screen together and it's always such a shame to see that Alicia who was so, I think maybe around season three or four when she was, you know, virtually leading this series, has really been pushed to the back. It'd be really interesting to see if Alicia's role does get sort of um, made a little bit bigger now. You know, we've got different characters and, you know, you've got Strand walking off. I wonder if, because, yes, yeah, as you say, she's one of the original, you know, um, from from that original pilot episode. And so I, I would like to see that. Um I'm curious to see what direction they go next. Like you said before about, you know, if we're going to get a villain, obviously they've already made it. So what we talk about is, you know, doesn't matter. It's inconsequential. It has happened, but I'm, I'm of the same mind. I, I could almost go without a villain for the rest of the season and just see where the story goes and build it up. I'd love to see them somehow as, you know, we've talked about the walking dead has its final season coming up somehow. If there could be some linkages in with that, some, some linkages in with, with, um, I've forgotten the name of the army, the the group, you know, the the, the big 
I forget what it's called. Oh, the community or the the uh, begins with a C. Yeah, I can't think what it is. Um, But build into that, build into the Rick Grimes movie, build into the world beyond. I don't know, just maybe some some linkages there. I'd love. I just think that there's there's so much to to bring together that could work well. But um, yeah, I I do wonder because we've got a gap to fill with John's death from last week in terms of the leadership, and we have got Dwight now, of course, who's come across. Um, Daniel is now back and talking properly. Uh, I wonder which direction it might go. And and I wonder what's going to happen with um, Jane as well. Like what? Like where? Where is this all going for her? Like obviously she's she's wandered off with the cowboy hat on. Are we going to see more of her, or is that kind of the? Is that the end? Um, oh, I, I think she's going to come back. I think she was just walking off for dramatic effect because she just she just couldn't take any more and. You know, I'm the same as you. I maybe might not be quite the villain of the pack, but I, I was like, she deserved that because I was so triggered last week about John. My only anger is that Dakota's still there and she's the one that I was annoyed with. It, it would have been, and I wonder whether Dakota's too young for uh, any justice to be kind of like dealt out, but it would have been it would have been great for her to, to go and find her as well. Look, I'm after a massacre, Paul. I'm after a massacre. I want my Walking Dead universes to clash. I want this camp versus, um, I don't know, Hilltop or whoever. And I don't want Morgan putting down the, the staff axe and leaving it outside saying, I'll leave this here till I need it again. No way, man. You've only just become a badass. Like, you need to be carrying that around all the time. I want you just riding around on your horse dealing out justice. I wish you could have a job where you're just wandering around the set and you're sort of like just going up to characters and saying that to Morgan, like, Morgan, pick it up. I want you doing this. Like, you're sort of like a a team coach just riling people up. I I agree with you, though. I would like to see that. And I I think Dakota's fair game. You know, they got rid of Carl. In, um, or Carl in the uh, in the Walking Dead, then they they can do it with Dakota in this one. Take her out. I'm done. I feel like if I was in the writers' room, Paul, I feel like that that all the actors would probably fear me because they'd be like, "Oh, he's got too many big ideas. He wants to kill everyone. He wants all these shock moments. Oh, you don't want to be on his radar." You feel like the big the big GM that comes in is completely out of touch with what's actually going on in the writers' room, <laughs> but you just yeah. take over. It'd be great. I just get my red pen out. I start crossing off names. You're done. You're done. You're done. Not enough action from you. Anyway, it was a good episode. Um, I thought it was such a strong ending. It ended the way – it ended like a season finale or like, – and it, it it was so good. And I think, you know, we don't often say these words with The Walking Dead of late, so it's great to have some three great episodes, as you say. Can we do four in a row, Dan? That is the challenge can't wait to find out i think we can i think we can well based on that then paul it must be a little bit of a movie of the week indeed yes so each week uh, dan and i watch a movie and we then review it seven days later on this podcast we publish the the title of that movie in our discord community um so if you'd like to watch along with us then you can sign up by clicking on the link in the show notes and then listen to the review as we record it right now, which we're about to, Dan, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to record our review of the movie Thunder Force. Yeah, so um, this is a movie basically where it's set in a world where supervillains are commonplace and two estranged childhood best friends reunite after one devises a treatment that gives them powers to protect the city. So this is another new movie that's just come on to Netflix. Uh, Netflix original and it stars Melissa McCarthy 
start that again Melissa McCarthy and Octavia Spencer it also got Jason Bateman and a few other um probably sort of fairly fairly common actors you you may know about but um Paul what did you think of this one we're just talking about doing four good episodes in a row for The Walking Dead. I feel like that, that this is the first time on Half Measures podcast that we, I, I feel like whenever we have a bad movie of the week, we normally bounce back with a real good one the week after. But just like the world of sports right now, we're like a sports team on a bad run. I feel like we've had two losses in a row. We've we've, we've followed up Bill and Ted 3 with what I describe as a middle-of-the-road comedy and how these things get made sometimes absolutely amazes me. How did they get it across the line? I I did not enjoy this movie, Dan. It's, it's interesting, right? Like, so as I mentioned, um, I actually went away for the weekend. So when we picked this movie, I actually watched this episode not in one sitting. I actually just through a series of other events, actually watched it. It took me three goes to sort of finish the movie. And not because I wasn't having a good time. It just, you know, I had like a 40-minute window here and a, another 40-minute window there. And I think because of that, the movie is not as painful for me as it maybe is for other people. I, it definitely had its fair share of cringe. I think the the jokes are pretty pretty basic, to be honest. Um, and the, the overall plots are... A, a pretty tired one and I think they've actually got some great talent in there that's largely wasted and I'd almost sort of say that the superstar for me of this is actually Jason Bateman I thought he was he was hilarious but it's kind of it's a shame right because I think you take a movie like Love and Monsters which Netflix has just made really good interesting premise something a little bit different um, and it's fun you take this movie with a I would imagine a you know probably a, a higher budget in terms of thinking about some of the actors that are, that are involved in this one and it just doesn't land and I feel like you're right like they must know this isn't going to land they must know that it's just going to be okay but I wonder like it probably all comes down to the, the science of the balance sheet with Netflix right like mm. how many people actually need to watch it to make it worthwhile and it probably doesn't have to be a um like it probably gets so many views purely because people already have Netflix it probably doesn't really matter whether it's a, a bomb or a great movie because people are going to watch it because they're hungry for new content. I I have to admit, I think I'm I'm guilty. I'm one of the people that is making these things happen. You know, I just said, how do these things get made? I think I'm part of the problem because the problem for me is, as I always come to these movies, I always, I see Melissa McCarthy and I always think, oh yeah, she was great. I'm, I'm always waiting for her to, to reproduce the kind of magic that she did in Bridesmaids. Uh, and it never quite happens. I, I love that movie so much. And her scenes in that were just like literally fall off your seat type of laughter, right? Which is, is so rare. And so each time Melissa McCarthy sort of comes up, I think I get hyped and I think I'm going to be laughing a lot. And when it doesn't transpire, I think more than any other movie genre, I always feel like it's a waste of time when a comedy fails to hit the mag. It's like, it's like you had one job and you didn't deliver on that. And and that's what I'm left with for my one hour, 46 minutes, to be honest with you. I think the one thing I did appreciate learning about this was because I you know, did a little bit of research, right? Because, you know, we're a professional podcaster. I did learn that um, Melissa McCarthy is actually married to the writer-director um, Ben Falcone and that they have now written and directed 
six movies together. So Tammy, uh, The Boss, Life of the Party, uh, Thunder Force. They, they, they keep making these movies. He keeps writing and directing and she keeps starring. And I, I really like that. I think that's really nice, even though I'm sitting here saying it's a terrible movie. But I love the idea that uh, husband and wife can, can go and do that. I think that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I think this one probably is like it's probably not a recommended watch from from either of us. Um it is a filler movie. If you literally had nothing else to watch, you were literally had a group of a group of people or you were struggling to find something. For some reason I imagine this type of movie and the humour might sort of appeal to the slightly older older audience. Um but I, I'm with you, Paul, I think. It, it's been a long time since we've had the the real laugh out loud, fall off your seats and sort of bridesmaids type humour. Mm. And this doesn't come anywhere near that, unfortunately. Um, but I, I, I do want to give a shout out for Jason Bateman because I think his yes. dry wit in this movie, and so he plays this character called the crab and, you know, his superpower is he basically has crustacean crab arms and his dry wit is just, it's, it's so on point. And I think if it wasn't for him, the movie would probably score even a little bit lower for me. You're absolutely right. He he was good. He, um, I came into this movie as I said for Melissa McCarthy. I lost interest. I then I stayed basically for Jason Bateman. Um, and but he he didn't come into it for quite a while. It was quite a long time into the movie before he actually showed up. And, and then when he did, I think it did get funnier. Um, particularly that '80s mullet dancing scene. But um, but even then, I was I was kind of going what I was. Yeah, it just look. It wasn't as bad as last week's Bill and Ted Three. I just need to make that clear. I laughed at this movie a lot more than I did that one, and it's not a criticism either. I feel like if anyone thinks I'm criticizing criticizing Melissa McCarthy, it's not because she's not being funny. She couldn't have made herself all those scenes any more funny than she already did. It's it is her husband. I'm afraid. It's, I think it's the writing, if I'm honest. Um, but uh, I did like that character, uh, Andy. Or Andrew, whoever he was, the, uh, the the bodyguard who was like, sort of tries. Oh, you can call me Andy. You can call me Andrew. I love those scenes. I thought that was pretty good. But uh, yeah, I give this half a gun a Kimbo. Dan, how about you? Half a gun. Wow. I, I was going to go one gun, but you know what? I'll come and join you on the on the half a gun level. Maybe it's a gun with no bullets in it. And when you got crab hands, the gun's no good to you anyway. Exactly, exactly. So as Paul mentioned at the start, if you would like to find out what our movie of the week is, then you should probably come and join us on our Discord channel so that we don't ruin these movies for you. And we'll have another new movie for you next week. So based on that then, it must be time for a little bit of news. So what have I got today? Well, Paul, I know that you've brought this up before, but it's now official. So Michael Keaton has officially been confirmed that he's going to appear as Batman in the Flash movies. And so I think when we first talked about it, it was sort of, that was sort of breaking news. And then I think Michael Keaton came out and said, actually, it's not confirmed yet. And from the articles that I've read, a lot of those concerns were actually around uh, COVID-19 and whether he wanted to sort of be part of it. But it has now been officially confirmed. Your favorite Batman will be back. It's the greatest news of all time. It is the greatest news of all time. Uh, George Miller, um, who brought us uh, Mad Max Fury Road, 
Um, he's he's also working on uh, Furiosa now, which is the um, a, a Mad Max. I'm not sure whether it's a prequel or a sequel, uh, but basically it's been given the largest amount of funding and um, incentives from the Australian Film Commissions that any movie has ever been given. So they've fought really hard to give him that money. And so I thought uh, Fury Road was a fantastic movie with fantastic effects. I can't wait to see what he does with this movie. It's going to be a good one. Nice. Uh, Godzilla versus Kong has topped the box office once again. So this is its uh, third week in a, in a row, and it's probably going to be the first movie since uh, the pandemic to crack $100 million, which is uh, pretty exciting for not only the movie, but the, the movie industry. And I think worldwide it's, it's, it's at about $390 million already, which is, is pretty awesome stuff. That is impressive. Um, I think I might have brought this bit of news to us before, but Michael Dorn, a friend of yours, Paul, you might know him as... Uh, Mr. Worf. Mr. Worf on uh, Star Trek. He tweeted, just got just got the news, being summoned back into action, Starfleet, Starfleet calls. And um, a whole bunch of fans have gone crazy, as you could imagine. I, I don't know whether you were one of them, Paul. But it looks like Paramount has shot down that this actually isn't anything to do with any of the existing Star Trek shows currently airing on TV. So interesting stuff. Um, and actually, when I look at Michael Dorn's tweet, he's actually got hashtag ad in there. So um, people probably should have maybe calmed down a little bit. But does it get you excited? Or uh, I, To be honest, uh, I'm going to go off a tangent here. So with Picard season one, which you haven't watched yet, so I won't give you names, but there were some people who showed up in that season, which made a lot of Star Trek fans of the next generation from the 80s think, oh, then in that case, I'm sure X, Y, and Z will probably show up in season two. And X was Michael Dorn. And so either this is just like the whole Lawrence Fishburne situation with Matrix 4, where they're like, nah, 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 he's not in it. Um, And it's a double bluff. Or, as you said, Michael Dorn is returning to play a Klingon in some sort of ad. Um, And yeah, who knows? Who knows? Time will tell. And then finally from me, a little bit of sad news. So Helen McCrory has unfortunately passed away. And so you may know her from uh, Harry Potter um, or probably for me more along sort of Peaky, Peaky Blinders. She played Aunt Polly or Polly um, Gray. And she's actually Damien Lewis's wife. So Damien Lewis from most recently I've been watching Billions. We're big Homeland fans. So very sad. She was only 52 years old. Very, very sad. Very young indeed. Yeah. Awful news. Awful. Um, I, I can... Oh, have you got any more, Dan? No, you go for it. I, I, can, for I, can, I can add two things in there, both of which are good news stories. Um, Downton Abbey 2 is coming. It's been confirmed. Uh, Focus Features are making a second Downton Abbey movie, which is is great. We were just singing the praises last week about, uh, you know, Maggie Smith as, as Violet Crawley. Um, so that's that's pretty awesome. Uh, the whole cast have apparently signed on. So looking forward to that. And the the other piece of news and I can't, you know, can't take credit for for everything, but uh, this was sent to me by someone else, and I posted it in the Discord news channel. But uh, Mads Mikkelsen, uh, he's coming to Indiana Jones Five, so now we have Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Harrison Ford, and Mads Mikkelsen in Indiana Jones Five. I don't care what character he's playing; 
he's great. We loved him in Hannibal. We loved him in Rogue One. There's been, it's, it's just, it's just great. And, and of course, Casino Royale. I mean, just, just great news. So, um, can't wait to see him show up. I actually watched a, a movie trailer last night with Mads Mikkelsen in it, and it is called Riders of Justice, and it's uh, a Norwegian film, I think, and it's all subtitles, but he is looking swole AF in that movie, like, he's got like a shaved head, he's got like this big beard, he looks like he's been like pumping iron at the gym, he looks like a real badass ball, I think you should check it out as a Mads Mikkelsen fan. Excellent. That sounds very much different to uh, Galen Erso. So yeah, I will, I will definitely give that a go. Uh, but that is uh, all I've got, Dan, this week for, for news myself. What's in the mailbag? I'm going to go have a little bit of a geek out, just, just briefly. I'll try and keep it under control. But this week, Dan, we had Tron himself. Tron from the first movie, the actor Bruce Boxleitner, uh, who appeared in both Tron movies. And of course, was the captain of Babylon 5, John Sheridan. You don't need me to tell you that, Dan. Uh, this is the first captain ever to get involved with the with the Have Measures podcast. Um, anyway, he shared our Tron review on Twitter. And so that was that was awesome because uh, he doesn't share a great deal. And so I think when someone who doesn't share a lot shares your thing, that was quite nice. I enjoyed that. Okay, I'll stop it now. Um, we also had the lead actress from Tron, uh, so Cindy Morgan, who played opposite um, Bruce Boxleitner as the character Maya she retweeted us so we had lots of Tron love on Twitter this week which has been great um, and we also had a lot of reaction a lot of local reaction uh, to the the Bellboard Bellbird <laughs> Bellbird review from last week this this one got shared uh, on Facebook on Twitter on Instagram by the two lead actors uh, the father and son the producer the director and even the movie's official Facebook page also shared our review and I honestly don't think we've had so many people involved in one sort of film or TV show share our review before so that was that was awesome and we now even have the producer and the music composer have both started following half measures too so that was cool it's always good we've got lots of chats going and it even had people overseas saying, how can they watch it in their country? So it always it's always good when it happens with a New Zealand production. So that was pretty cool. That's awesome. I've got to admit, I, I saw all of the, the fanfare on social media over the weekend, and I, I've never seen so many people with such a, a universal love for a film. Mm. Um, and I think if it wasn't for you, Paul, it, it probably would have gone completely under my radar. Like I wasn't even aware of it, but there's a real big following out there for this one. There is indeed, yeah. No, definitely worth a a watch and if you do watch it i'll be happy to talk about it again really enjoyed it um we what else we oh we had a couple of people asking us if we would be reviewing a line of duty and in fact we even had uh someone wondering if we even got it here in new zealand um including our old mate uh bruce gray over in australia and the answer is that yes we do get it in new zealand and that yes Dan and I will be reviewing that. We're, we're going to do a, a full season review. Um, so far, three episodes have dropped uh, in New Zealand thus far. So we're sort of staying off of Tintinet and all the, the places that can spoil it because they're a little bit ahead of us. Um, but yes, um, appreciate asking if we're going to get involved. I even had someone ask me in person this week, Dan, as well, which is always pretty weird. Um, but yeah. I was really waiting for a, a great um, Hastings impersonation right then, Paul. And uh, can I put you on the spot? Can I get a little of something? Listen, fella, I'm interested in one thing and one thing only. Bent coppers. Now, no one does the impression better than you, Dan. 
<laughs> no, that's really good. That's really good. Oh, that's no, we'll definitely be reviewing that. In fact, it's been really hard for us to not talk about this show uh, each each week as we get each episode here in New Zealand. So, I imagine how many episodes have we got in the season, Paul? Four or five? Or uh, I think there's normally at least five. But um, let's have a look. Yeah, it has been hard not to talk about. It. You're right, but because because we knew that they were ahead in other countries, we we just didn't want to take that chance, right? Mm, no, but we, uh, we're we very big fans of the show. And in fact, every now and again, someone says to me, oh, I've just come across the show called Line of Duty. And I'm so happy for them when they, when they jump in, because it's, you know, this, what well, we're up to season six at the moment of Line of Duty. And it's, it's a top tier TV show for both of us. Seven episodes, Dan, um, which, uh, so we've still got a wee way to go. But um, yeah, great to those people asking and, uh, and, uh, and to Bruce on Twitter as well. Appreciate that. Um, I think that's all we've got for the... Oh, no, sorry. We've also got some peak performances. So last week was Maggie Smith, right? So, uh, yeah, so we had Barb from the Hawke's Bay here in New Zealand. Uh, she went with the Dowager Countess, um, noting her dry wit and sarcastic retorts are priceless. I, I couldn't agree more, Barb. Absolutely fantastic. Um, we also had our 321 from Paddy. He went with Murder by Death, uh, the Sister Act series and the Harry Potter series. Uh, Ryan also went with Harry Potter as to did Jason here in Wellington went with Harry Potter as well. So a lot of love for Maggie Smith as Professor McGonagall um, for this, uh, for that peak performance. And that is the mailbag, Dan. Awesome. So it must be time for our peak performance of this week. So much like the movie of the week, uh, each week Paul and I take turns choosing different actors and actresses and we talk about what we think are their top three performances. And so this week we're actually reviewing Jason Bateman. So last week, Dan, you made the comment that you thought right off the bat that we were going to be in sync for for Maggie Smith. I'm going to go on the record here and say, I reckon this could be one of those rare weeks where we have absolutely nothing in common. I'm going to go on a limb here. I'll go first if you don't mind, because uh, I'm I'm really conscious that you've seen Jason Bateman and some things I haven't seen him in. I have. I'm limited to his movies, and of all of those, they're all comedy. So I have never seen him in anything that's non-comedy. Um, and spoiler alert: Thunder Force will not be in my my top three peak performances. So my number three then is Game Night. Uh, this is a 2018 movie. I love the, the the premise of this movie, the whole plot. Um, um, it's kind of a, a really weird um, uh, sort of thing for me because I would never host a, a game night. It's just not something I would I would ever do. Um, it's not something I'm yeah. So right from the start, I'm hooked, and it goes through the gears. Jason Bateman is the character for me that really grains them in in reality. Um, he's the most pragmatic and sensible. He's like the gateway into the movie for me, and he's he's real good in it. So if you haven't seen Game Game Night, it's a it's a real good fun watch. Also good fun is Horrible Bosses, um, and I mean it's just so much about this movie is is just absolutely hilarious. Jason Bateman is a big part of that. It, w- it was so good that they made a sequel, which, you know, when you, if a comedy gets a sequel, that's always a good sign. And, and the sequel probably wasn't quite as good as the first, but this movie's right up there for me in terms of severe laughter, rewatchability factor is high, um, a really enjoyable one. But the clear number one for me is Couples Retreat. Uh, 
this is this is an old one this is far and away my the funniest and best for me um i do you remember when we did that films to be buried with podcasts and one of them one of them was what what's the movie that makes you laugh the most well this was really close to being up there for my number one this is this is feels like to me my equivalent of what your love for stepbrothers is um and i think what makes it even funnier for me is is that diane and i really enjoy watching this together and that always elevates the comedy for me and honestly jason, jason bateman's character in this movie his reaction to everything that happens is just again kind of like in um game like it's kind of like uh, i feel like my reaction would be the same he's so shell-shocked throughout this movie everyone's behavior it's he's perfect in this role it's 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 brilliant it's my it's that's my three two one dan i'm curious to hear yours i like it you've got some um some good recommendations in there and i feel like it's been a long time since we've had a movie like horrible bosses like i love a good comedy like that and i feel like i wish movies like thunder force could be in this sort of category because i feel like they're they're primed to be that type of thing but alas that is not the way um so my uh picks for jason bateman you're right are, are a little bit different from yours for number three i'm actually gonna go with the actually it's the 2016 movie zootopia so i don't know if you've seen this one paul this is basically where um jason bateman i was gonna say patrick bateman there for a while jason bateman um he stars as nick wilde and it's basically in a city of animals where a rookie bunny cop and a cynical con artist fox must work together and to uncover a conspiracy and it's one of those um great animated kind of children slash adult movies and I think for me, it's just one of those movies where Jason Bateman's humor translates so well into that sort of digital, digital animated, um, universe. And, and you still get all of the goodness that is Jason Bateman. So it's a strong number three for me. Number two is going to be Ozark, the TV series. When I, I talk about it a few times here on the pod, I think again, this is a movie that's like, it's super dark. It's quite serious. I think Jason Bateman's character, who plays a guy called Marty Bird, and he gets himself into a lot of trouble, but he still manages to bring that sort of that human Bateman edge to it all. And it's it's a, it's a show. If you haven't been watching it, I just highly recommend you get in around. Um, I think we're getting another sort of season or two, which I think they're splitting, but right. it's a it's a it's a good one. So get amongst. And then my final Jason Bateman uh, number one peak performance would be for his role as um, Michael Bluth in Arrested Development. So Arrested Development is one of those top tier um, comedy TV shows for me, but I say it with uh, there's a caveat to it. So there's actually five seasons of the show out of the show that have actually come out, but actually seasons one to three are my absolute favorite. This is such a funny well done show with like long lasting jokes that go on for multiple seasons and michael sort of plays this role of you know the the father of the family goes to jail he takes over the family business it's all a big disaster his whole family is a nightmare and again i think jason bateman is just such a relatable person and there's something about him i just i just i love his whole demeanor and the way he kind of you know has his sort of like backhanded but casual comments to people it's it's so well done so my three two one is zootopia ozark and arrested development then on the assumption i can watch arrested development here in new zealand i'm going to commit to you 
that once we finished Superstore, or, you know, our latest comedy, this is this is coming in. This is the next palate cleanser. I've I've heard it enough times from you now. You've sold me um, Virgil in a Discord community as well. There's a number of people that talk highly of the show. The ratings are real high. I look at the the, the synopsis. Uh, I I just think, why am I not amongst this as a, as a comedy? So I'm going to do it. It's a, it's one of those shows that you either love it or you hate it. And I've tried to get Samara into this show, and she it, it's not for her. She she finds the sort of the, the the humor doesn't doesn't quite land with her. But I'll tell you, Paul, if you get into this, let me know, and we'll do a we can do a seasonal review, and because I'll definitely rewatch it along with you guys. Brilliant. A good a good. Good, uh, very different three, two, one for both of us this week, which is always good. Indeed. So that probably brings us to the end of another episode of the Half Measures podcast. Indeed, it does. Uh, thanks again to the Roddenberry Podcast Network for supporting this week's episode. Thanks, guys. Also, a special shout to our Patreon producers, Samara King and Trisha Brady. If you would like to become a patron of the show, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone. Adios.